Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, He is risen. Praise God. It's great to be here. It's great to see everyone. Family, friends, visitors. It's great to have everyone congregated as we fellowship around the Word of God. Celebrating Passover this 2009, otherwise known as Easter. We thank God for his grace and mercy towards us. He is so good to us. His mercies are new every morning. His steadfast love never ceases. And as we come together at what is really a time of remembrance and also celebration, um, we are reminded all the more of God's goodness towards us. Praise God. Hmm. I was considering how Just a few weeks ago, the headlines were filled, splashed across all of the headlines, was the passing of Jade Goody on Mother's Day. It was national and, dare I say, even international news. And it's interesting that The point at which her name hit the headlines on that occasion, it was such that she was the subject of great sympathy from many throughout the nation. She was the, she was in the place where many hearts went out to her and to her family in view of the suffering that she had endured and the misdemeanors of her past seemed to pale in significance when compared to her plight and her end. I found it interesting that someone who was once public enemy almost number one for the comments that she made in the Big Brother house had then come to a place of public commiseration and endearment. And I was encouraged, greatly encouraged, when I considered that, in view of her terminal condition, she had arrived at a place where she realized 
that Jesus was the answer. To whatever extent she understood that, we may not know. We were not there with her. We weren't given the privilege to minister the word to her. But she understood of all the options that she had, that Jesus was the only serious option worth considering. And so she set about being baptized and having her children christened that they would one day be with Jesus and therefore be with her. Thank God for Jesus Christ, the hope of all people. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your consummate goodness towards us. Ah, Lord, we who are so undeserving, we who are so unworthy, and yet you have showered us with your blessings. You have poured out your goodness upon us. Lord, I do pray that you will illuminate and enlighten our hearts again to the richness of your grace, Lord, to the wonder of your glory. Reveal to us again, Lord, the brightness of your person as we gather to remember, to celebrate, to rejoice in the finished work of the cross through which we have forgiveness of sins. The resurrection from the grave through which we have the hope of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for reaching out to us. Speak to us, we pray, by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus Christ, the hope for all people. Now, at the time when Jade Goody made a decision to turn to Christ, it really occurred to me that um, I had great concern. And um, you might think, well, why would you have concern? That's what everybody would hope and pray for. And, um, you know, the, the, the source and reason and cause of my concern was that Jade Goody would meet with Jesus, but that she would meet with the real Jesus, the true Jesus. And it just occurred to me so clearly how the message of Christ and the person, the reputation of Christ is so often very distorted within our society. The understanding of who he is, the purpose for which he came, and why he alone is qualified to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That isn't very clear today, especially in our society where the message of Christ is an age-old story, as it were. It's been circulating for a long time to the point where it's almost suffered the Chinese whispers effect. Do you remember the first time you played Chinese whispers? Some of you have never played. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? 
Chai, you, you talk Chinese. <laughs> Alright, for those who don't know, Chinese whispers is this. You have a line of people, and somebody whispers a message to the first person in line, only allowed to say it once, and then the message is repeated along the line, from person to person, only stated once, no repeats. And as that message is shared, the point is to see if the message can be retained accurately by the time it gets to the end of the line. Is it going to be the same message that was started? I don't think I have ever played Chinese whispers. And there hasn't been a fight. When the message came out at the end as being something that everybody swore it was meant to be. That's what I heard, I'm telling you. Anyone ever played Chinese whispers and seen it go right through to the end? Come out right? No? No. You see? Sometimes you get some weird and twisted stories come out. It reminds me of the scene, I think it was in Ocean's Eleven, when Brad Pitt walked to the bar and he made a comment that the barman didn't hear. And the barman said, pardon? And he said something else that sounded just like it but wasn't quite the same. And the barman kind of went, oh. Happened two or three times and you kind of realize that this guy, Brad Pitt's character, was really playing a game. And that's the reality of life. Messages get distorted. We think we hear one thing and yet we've heard something else. The message isn't transmitted clearly. And so, I would like us to consider these verses. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to read the verses, and then we're going to come back to them. Because I want to I wanna set things up. The message of Christ is in need of clarification in our day and age. It needs to be clarified in our minds and hearts. And it needs to be clarified in the context of our communities. That people would be clear. That we would be clear as to what is the message of Christ. Who is he? This Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, 
having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. God has spoken to us most notably and most clearly through his son, Jesus Christ. The one who has purged our sins and having received the exalted position of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is it such that Jesus is someone that we can afford to ignore, that we have the choice to ignore? Is it such that Jesus is only for a select people group? Particular nationalities? Is it such that Jesus is just another prophet? A good man? Or was Jesus just on the level of angels? These are all common beliefs, common messages communicated today about Jesus Christ. Clarification is necessary. Now we see from this text that Jesus is so much more. Many, if not most of us, are familiar with this truth. And yet, why? Are we clear in our minds as to why? As we are we clear in our minds as to the process and purpose that God fulfilled through Christ, therefore causing him not just in name to be higher than all others, but in our hearts we hold him as, as higher than all others. Do we just hear that and in our heads we agree? But in our hearts, there isn't such great conviction. I mean, we only need look at our own lives to see how highly esteemed Jesus really is. Everyone gets to a point. No, let me rephrase that. Most people get to a point, most people get to a place where they choke on Christ. What do I mean by that? You remember the scenario, Jesus had just fed the thousands and he turned and he said to them, unless you eat my bread and drink my blood, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And they were like, man, we were just looking for some more food out here. You start talking that kind of cannibalistic talk. Eat my flesh and drink my... All right, well, listen, if, if, if the naan bread's finished, then we'll just, we'll call it a day. Because that's a bit too deep for us. And what did they do? They turned and hightailed it out. To the point where Jesus had to look at his disciples. Hmm. So what? You gone as well? 
you notice he wasn't begging any friends. So what, you gone as well? And they stood there, and you kind of get a sense in the text that there was a little consideration going on. And Peter turns and he says, where can we go? I mean, I thought about it for a minute, but where can we go? You have the words of life. And Jesus had communicated that he is the bread of life. And as we shared last week for those who were here, as we took communion, Jesus portrayed himself as the unleavened bread, which was to be consumed entirely as instructed at the Passover during the time of Moses. Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven, the manna that was given in the wilderness to the Israelites, which had to be eaten completely and entirely and none left over. Ezekiel was told to eat the whole roll. The whole roll. When he encountered God and God gave his word to him. Jesus is that role. I wasn't talking about a bread roll that you get from like bakery down on head. He was talking about the, the, the script of the message which was rolled on parchment. Jesus is the bread of life, the manna, the roll that we are to eat entirely. Consistently we see that we are to feed upon Christ, leaving nothing out. But at what point do we begin to choke and feel like, I can't eat anymore? At what point do we become like the Israelites who say, boy, all this manna, it's kind of bland. We need something with some flavor. I want some more onions and some leeks. Now, you know onions are strong, right? They were crying out for flavor. It's like some of us want more flavor in our services. Hmm. But the Lord said, okay, oh, you, 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 the, the manna's not sufficient for you now. Hmm? It's, it's not enough for you. You're beginning to choke on the manna. Beginning to leave some aside. Well, I'll give you meat till it's coming out of your nostrils. So said, so done. And so at what point do we begin to choke on Christ? Uh, at what point do, does Jesus become too much for us? Well, I would suggest that this happens when we don't fully appreciate and understand, when we don't fully esteem Jesus in our hearts, to the point where we hunger for him and can't be satisfied because all we want is Jesus. Hmm. Well, let me take things back by way of a little narrative, a little story. You see, the passion of the Christ displayed the suffering. Some may have seen it on TV. Maybe you kind of took out the DVD and refreshed your memory. 
And one of the questions that was asked by many, many people, one of the main questions was why? A lack of clarity as to the person and purpose of Christ. So, if we're to understand the person and work of Jesus, we must first appreciate the nature of God and the nature of man. Absolutely essential that we understand the nature of God and the nature of man. So let me take you back. In the beginning, God. Right to the beginning. Best place to start, right? Three persons, one nature, one title, God. Now, right there, some of you fell off. This Trinity business, I don't understand it. It don't make no sense. Was God praying to himself when Jesus was on the cross speaking to the Father? Boy, don't come to me with that Trinity business. In the beginning, God, Elohim. A compound singular term. In and of itself revealing the triune nature of God. God. Three persons. One nature. One title. Not created, but self-existent. Needing nothing or no one. I remember studying electronics. And at the time, they were, um, there was a lot of research into superconductivity. Now, I didn't really go very far in my electronic studies, so I'm not going to try and explain it all to you. But the idea was that they would be able to develop resistance-less technology. Resistance-less technology. If you roll a ball, it will eventually stop rolling, right? Due to the resistance that it encounters. If you drive your car and take your foot off the gas, you will eventually stop driving without having to press the brakes. Got some driving instructors at the back there. Is that true, guys? Yeah? All learners, no coasting. All right? All right. Try to save petrol. Coasting that hill. Credit crunch. <laughs> Credit crunch coasting. <laughs> Resistanceless technology would enable things to run with the minimum of effort. Almost causing them to be self-existent in their power. Well, needless to say, they've not arrived at that place yet. I don't know how close they are. My cousin works in engineering. He's here today. Blessings, ma'am. Are they any closer? 60%? Oh, all right. So Jesus will come before they get the rest. <laughs> but you imagine, God is entirely self-existence. There is nothing or no one that is able to resist him. 
There is nothing or no one that he needs. He is. You want to tell me that God ain't great? God is without limits. He is time and spaceless. These are things that will have you twisted for a week. Just sitting down trying to understand the reality. God is outside of time and space. Time and space is created within him. God is holy. Entirely without flaw, without sin, without error, without blame, entirely holy. Now, we appreciate that, and yet there are times when we often don't appreciate that. God is holy, without sin, without error, without blame, without flaw, never makes a mistake, is always, always right. He is perfect in all his ways. That means there is never an occasion when we are justified in blaming God. Never. Never. God is always right. Oh boy. He is entirely just. He's fair. Entirely fair. And perfectly true. He never says something that is a partial truth. Never anything deceptive. Never anything mistaken or off-key. He is perfectly true. There is no one above or beside God. Working with young people, common phrase these days is that all the youth that want to be on levels. We're on different levels. Different levels. Yeah, levels, isn't it? There is no one on God's level. Not even remotely close to God's level. God is on levels. The sovereign ultimate ruler over all things the embodiment and definition of pure love not love as we see defined among men that kind of sometimeish love that kind of three quarter way love but pure love this is the God whom we consider. Have you considered God in this way? Do you hold God in this esteem and in this light? 
Because this is the God of scripture. Now man on the other hand. Where God is not created. Man is a created being. God made man. As a result we are severely limited. I mean apart from all of our. Lack of ability, whether it be mentally or emotionally, just on a basic level, you take away food, most of us start bawling by the end of a day. Yeah, any you see me when I'm trying to fast? Vex up, screw face, don't talk to me. Wrestling with the flesh. But you take away food. After 40 days, someone's dead. You take away water. After three days, someone's dead. And obviously, you take away air. And technically, technically after three minutes, someone's dead. We're limited. We're finite. We rely upon these things in order to live. We are limited to time and space. We can be only... In one place, at one time. This sounds like basic stuff, right? We've all felt the pressure of that limitation, wishing that we could be in more than one place at one time. We're finite. And to add to that, we are sinful. We are flawed. We are imperfect. Regardless of an individual's view of the origins of man, no one can deny that man is imperfect. God the greater makes man the lesser. God gives man a command. Man disobeys. The nature of the disobedience is really the secondary issue. The disobedience is the primary issue. Was it an apple? Some say it was sex. But the method is not really the issue in the first instance. The fact is, creation disobeyed the creator. That is the height of impertinence. Now, for those of us who are parents, if we want to try and find some range of emotion with which we can relate to God on this level, all we need to do is have our children disobey us. Point blank. Fists clench, knuckles whiten, teeth start gnashing, anger rises. I'm, I'm a sinner, I've been there. When a child disobeys a straightforward command, a straightforward instruction, do not, and they go and do it. 
Hi. Now, I've done my fair share of disobedient acts. And back in them days, I reaped the consequence. <laughs> I think I told you about the fact I grew with my gran. And <laughs> my, my cousin's here, so I have a witness in the building. We grew up together. And my gran used to have a strap. Now, I don't mean a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, language has changed. And <laughs> see my grand drew for the strap from under the bed. <laughs> what? You can't hear. <laughs> I don't mean a gun. <laughs> but she had a strap. Now, my grand was a dressmaker, and I'm not sure where this strap come from, because it weren't a belt. It weren't a belt. It weren't a belt, was it, cuz? It was, it was this thick... It, it, was a, it was about maybe two inches wide. It could have been thinner, but you know when you're small, everything looks big. <laughs> it was about two inches wide, and it was probably about half an inch thick. And it was leather. Remember that, bro? Listen. <laughs> As he rubs certain welts of scars from... <laughs> And we used to have a name. <laughs> My man's going to laugh. I bet he don't even remember. Ipitumbe. <laughs> I'm alive, bruv. Listen. And we would meet Ipitumbe. At those moments of disobedience. And rebellion. Because we knew it was the height of impertinence. It was an act of defiance. It was the ultimate rebellion. To do something that you were blatantly told not to do. So God wants relationship with man. But God must judge man's rebellion. The judgment is death. Not merely physical we know that death came through sin. This is why people die. All have sinned. But spiritual. And spiritual death ultimately results in being assigned to the lake of fire for perpetual torment. And this is now the fate of all people. Man is exiled from relationship with God. Man is dead to God, continuing to function, but not in the area of relationship with God. And yet we see that God withholds his ultimate judgment and makes a future appointment for its fulfillment that remains pending. And as I was saying, it really, it concerns me Maybe concerns isn't the right. It dismays me that as we look at ourselves and we look at our lives, we look at our failings, we look at our sin, and yet find it difficult to appreciate that the God who is self-existent, who is pure and holy, entirely without sin, who 
gave a command which a man went against, rebelled against by choice, as would any one of us if we were in that place. A lot of people are like, oh, Adam, thanks very much. (laughs) If it was me, boy, we'd all be living in paradise right now. Not. If any one of us were in the same situation, we would have done the same thing. And so it's only reasonable that God would judge. We think of, quote unquote, especially wicked people. And we say, yeah, God should judge. There were even people who felt that Jade Goody was deserving of judgment. There were people I noted who, even when the tribute videos began to go up on YouTube, that were hating on her, who couldn't let go her misdemeanors of the past, who spoke ill of her. Because in their minds, she had done something so bad that it warranted judgment. Some saw the cancer she endured as a judgment of God. Now, we see and know that we live in a fallen world. Where sin is dominant. Even in nature itself. And even these bodies that we as Christians live in. These bodies are subject to sin. We will. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus. Receive new bodies. Incorruptible. There will be impenetrable by sickness and disease. But until that time, even we as Christians have to endure such trials. So, Jade Goody's cancer wasn't necessarily the result of her sin. It was just the result of sin. Generic sin in the world. And yet, God has withheld his ultimate judgment, having made a future appointment for its execution. And no one knows the day or the hour when this judgment will fall, it still remains pending. Now, judgment hovers. Judgment is over man's kind's head. Romans 1 says that the wrath of God abides upon the children of disobedience. At any moment, that judgment could be initiated in an ultimate sense. And yet we see that God is good. 
God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why? Why when all we deserve is judgment, does God extend goodness? God is good. And yet we see that the goodness that God extends to us is not ours by right. God does not owe us anything apart from judgment. But it is God's mercy. God not giving us what we do deserve. Now, think about this as a little side note. Before man sinned, God knew he would. In fact, God knew before man was created that he would sin. Some say, well, why didn't he stop him? Well, God desired love. Man's choosing to respond to God in adoration rather than the automation of his will. Rather than a mechanical, forced response to God. God desired man to choose. Jesus asked the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. And the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God therefore had to allow man the choice to sin in order to allow him the capacity to love. Because true love is not extracted or forced. It is given. Hopefully, as we go through, this begins to clarify exactly who God is and his dealings with us as people. In many ways, this answers many of the questions. God had to allow man the choice to sin in order to allow him the capacity to love. God knew that man's sin would require the execution of justice. But God desired love. But the only way divine justice could be satisfied is through the shedding of innocent blood. We see in the scripture, Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God established the sacrificial system as an example of his standard. From the very first first Passover, when the Israelites were in Egypt, they had to select a spotless, blemishless, flawless lamb. No defects, no deformities, no discoloring. And they had to take that lamb and they had to kill it. And take its blood and put it on the doorposts. Remember Prince of Egypt? 
And this was in order for them to be saved from death. Furthermore, saved from judgment. The only way divine justice could be satisfied is through the shedding of innocent blood. Was there a way God could have a love relationship with man even though he was bound to sin? Sounds like a catch-22, right? I've got to give them the choice, but I know they're going to choose to sin. Is this ever going to work? Well, God had a plan even before the world was formed. See, only a person without sin could have a relationship with God. And according to divine law, anyone guilty of sin must die. The soul that sins must surely die, says the scriptures. But what if a sinner could be pronounced innocent, freed from the guilt of sin. The innocent would then be free from the law of sin and death, free to have a relationship with God, despite his own inner weaknesses. <clears throat> that even though they sin, they would not be held guilty for their sin. They would be innocent. So how could a person guilty of sin, required to die by the law, be declared innocent? Only if someone truly innocent died on their behalf. As a substitute in their place, taking the punishment for their sin, paying the penalty, breaking the power of sin, and buying them back from sin's rule and control. The only way. You've heard the scenario many times. Someone goes to court charged with a, a sentence that they can't bear. 25 years or a million pound fine. They don't want to do the 25 years and they can't afford the million pound. They look to face certain imprisonment justice must be satisfied but then the judge steps up and as he steps up he says I will pay the fine it costing him everything that he has in order for that individual to go free Now, it's highly uncharacteristic of the judge to do that. Highly unexpected to say the least. But once the payment is made, the individual is no longer held guilty for the sin. Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him, <clears throat> before the foundation of the world that we should be holy 
and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. God had a plan that he would send the last Adam, the innocent one, the sinless one, to die in our place. That was God's plan. Now, briefly consider this. When man sinned, God began a progressive process of revelation. Over time, he revealed at least three things very clearly. His person, who he was, his plan, what he was going to do, and his people, who he's going to do it through. God is so great, so vast, who can truly know him and understand his nature? In order for man to begin to understand who he is, God had to reveal different aspects of his character. Different aspects of his nature. One step at a time. You ever been looking for something? For ages. Can't find it. And then you find it and it was right in front of you. Some people use the phrase, you can't see the wood for the trees. God is all around us. He is everywhere. And yet, how can we see him? How can we know him unless he reveals himself to us? And so God set about revealing himself. He revealed his holy sinless nature. His unfailing faithfulness. He revealed his awesome wisdom and power. He revealed his absolute truth and justice. Likewise, he began to reveal his plan. From the very point sin entered the world, God revealed that he was already prepared with a plan to redeem and reconcile mankind. To free mankind and bring them back into relationship with himself. He planned to send a savior, a rescuer who would give his life for the sins of the people. God also began to separate a people for himself, a people who he could give an understanding of his person and plan, a people for whom he could be an example to all people everywhere, a people through whom all the people of the earth would be blessed. This people would be the bloodline of the Savior. Now, at this point, for some, that has brought greater clarity as to the meaning and person of Christ. Why is Jesus so exclusive? Why is he the only way? 
Why is he the truth? Why is he the life? Why is life only found in him? Why is it there is no other way to come to God but through him? You see, this issue of sin is an issue that could not be circumvented. You couldn't get around it. You couldn't go under it and you couldn't go over it if you tried. It's an issue that every individual must face and come to terms with. It's an, in, it's, it's an issue that every person must wrestle with. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The payment for sin is death. Eternal separation from God. In torment. That is the rightful judgment of sin. And yet the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that. I don't know about you, but that is a reality to me. And throughout time and throughout the ages... As we see in verse 1 of our text, God has been speaking, trying to get the world's attention. And he spoke at various times, in various ways, through the fathers, by the prophets. At the time of Adam, he spoke. And when he gave the dominion mandate, he gave the consequence. And in Genesis 3, verse 15, he made this statement, which was a prediction. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of Satan. Or speaking to Satan of Christ. The coming one. Who would be the seed of the woman. Now you don't have to have a degree in biology to know that women don't carry the seed. And God continued to speak. He spoke through Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. He said to Abraham, through your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. Predicting the coming of the rescuer. And he continued to speak. Through Moses and through David 
And the prophecies and the predictions became more and more clear and more and more intense. How do we know Jesus is who he claimed to be? Well, one of the reasons we know is that there were over 500 prophecies made in relation to Jesus Christ. Over 500 specific predictions that were made. You look at Psalm 22. Look at the whole Psalm. As 400 years before the invention of crucifixion, it clearly details one being crucified. To the extent where it speaks of the rescuer as having his clothes, his garments gambled over. The resurrection was predicted. Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord. Isaiah prophesied. You will be given a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, there are a lot of things that you can fabricate. (laughs) But a virgin birth isn't one of them. And the prophecies multiplied and continued to the point where it is a statistical impossibility that Jesus could have fulfilled all of those prophecies. Prophecies concerning his name, concerning where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would die, the fact that he would be raised from the dead. It's a statistical impossibility. And so the Savior comes According to the prophecies, the hundreds of detailed predictions. The ultimate revelation of God. Up until that point, God had been revealing himself bit by bit. Through various acts and events, through the word of the prophets, Jehovah Jireh, oh, he's the God who sees our needs and he provides for us. Jehovah Shalom, the God who provides us peace. Oh, so that's, that's also what he's like. El Gabor, the God of war. Oh, he's awesome. Jehovah Nissi, the God of banners, he goes before our armies. They had all of these glimpses into the nature of God. And then the Savior comes. God in the flesh. More than a prophet. Higher than the angels. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The hope for all people. And all of the examples prior to him. Pointed towards him. 
And all of the teaching and instruction and examples since point back toward him. He is the center of scripture. He is the center of history. He is alive today. God has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself, Sorry, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He's on a different level. Jesus Christ alone is the hope for all people. He is to be esteemed. He is to be revered. He is to be obeyed. He is to be trusted in. He is to be submitted to. He is the only way to receive eternal life. The only way that God's divine justice can be satisfied and we can be forgiven of our sin. <clears throat> now, no surprises. No heavy revelation. Heavy revy. No new twist on the message. You know, getting up <clears throat> here in London, Easter 2009, I'm sure there are ministers across the country like myself, across the city, across the world even, who have come back to this place and felt like, what new can I say? What new spin can I give this? But the Lord has impressed on my heart the need to clarify the age-old story. Jesus is Lord. The only one qualified to die for our sin. The only one through whom we have eternal life. Truly he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's been given the name above all names. The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He requires a response. For many of us, for most of us maybe, we've responded in a positive sense. We have come and as the, the Bible has instructed, we've repented of our sin. We have turned from our own way. We've denied ourselves. We've taken up our cross. 
even though sometimes we want to kind of lean it up, to follow Christ. And we have experienced the righteousness, peace, and joy that is given as a result. For some of us, we haven't. We haven't declared Jesus as both Lord and Savior. Maybe for some of us, we've taken Jesus to be Savior. Save me, save me. Bail me out, rescue me, fix my life, make it better. Make me wealthy, make me wise. But we haven't submitted to Christ as Lord. Jesus is both Lord and Savior. If he is not Lord, he is not your Savior. If he's not running your life, you are. And so the Bible commands that you repent. That you turn ultimately from your own way to God's. In complete and total surrender. Eating the whole roll. Not coming to that place where you begin to choke because you've had enough. And you want to just go about your own business. Like Frank Sinatra, you want to do it your way. No. It's God's way or no way. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the hope for all nations. Repent and put your trust in him. Make him Lord of your life. Seek him. Learn of him. He said, come and learn of me. Take my yoke on you. Take my weight on you. Because my burden's easy and my yoke is light. That's what Jesus said. Let's pray. Hmm. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the fact that you are good. And that you have loved the world so much that you gave your only son... That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Thank you, Lord. That you have given us opportunity to come into the light, to come out of darkness. Fumbling through life, grasping along the road to eternal destruction. You've called us out of that. And you've given us your word. Communicated by your spirit. Committed to paper and yet embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And you have allowed your word to become a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. 
the headlights on the road of eternity, leading us through this dark world to your heavenly home. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to hide your word in our hearts, that we wouldn't sin against you. Teach us to feast on the bread of life with an insatiable appetite that we would truly hunger and thirst after righteousness that we would eat the whole roll that we would receive the bread from heaven the manna through which we're sustained and strengthened by which we overcome Have your way in our lives, we pray, Lord. And Lord, I pray for any who have yet to surrender to you. May they be compelled, Lord, by your spirit to come into your love, to receive your love. The ultimate and open demonstration of your love toward them in giving your son and raising him from the dead that we would have assurance, complete assurance that we have forgiveness through him and receive the spirit of eternal life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Where I fit in, but I'm